welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast brought to you by crack rackets my name is alex gruskin and joining me as today's co-host for this u.s men's tennis state of the union great shot podcast it is creator of the on the rise tennis blog occasional freelancer for Tennis Panorama, and one of the founding fathers of the tennis Twitter universe that we've all grown to love so much. It's our friend of the podcast, Jonathan Kelly. Jonathan, hey, great shot. Hey, great shot. (laughs) I've foregone calling you Mr. Kelly. I feel like we're past that point. Now I feel comfortable calling you Jonathan. I just feel like uh, 10 years younger all of a sudden. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Well, the other thing I'm happy to say is we are back in the podcast format, so no one gets to see my bald spots anymore. I'm very, very insecure after this past weekend. Yeah, mine <laughs> overtook mine overtook my head about 20 years ago, so I, I feel you. <laughs> exactly, it's live and let live. Um, but again, as I mentioned earlier, the reason I am so happy to have you on as our guest today, we are doing a post-U.S. Open State of American Men's Tennis. We are going to break down our top 10 performers of the 2018 season on the men's side. You know, We feel like we've had a large enough sample size in the 2018 season now where we can start to draw some conclusions about these guys' years. Obviously, you and I talked at the end of last year kind of predicting uh, where you know American men's tennis would be at the end of the 2018 season, so we can talk about that as well. But you know, we'll we'll have some fun debates. We'll go through these guys' resumes. I imagine our lists look a little bit different for our fans listening to this. We have not looked at each other's lists, so this will be a natural debate, my favorite kind. I imagine there will be many counterpoints. So you know, if this podcast goes a little bit long, we're uh, we're sorry about that. But yeah, Jonathan, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Good. I, I have a special section of the podcast. I want to give you five minutes at the end to just go off on your rant, what you've been holding in on the 2018 season, anything you need to get out. You know, this is the only time I'll mention it, but if you have any last Serena Osaka takes, that's the perfect chance to tell those as well. <laughs> oh, all right, but then with that, let's get into it. I think, you know, before we talk about any of the guys right away, uh, we should say Again, there have been a ton of guys successful. There are now, I believe, 11, maybe 12 American male players inside the top 100, uh, 11 now, uh, with Klon rounding it out at 93, and then Isner now, uh, oh, no, that might not, nope, that's my first, hey, great shot at the time, sorry, that's by points accumulated. We do have 12, uh, we have Donaldson at 97th, Klon at 93rd, so again, you know, that's better than we were when we started the year, uh, you know, Jonathan, what what have your thoughts been on the 2018 season for the American men? Oh, wow, it's a it's really tough to say. I, it's a disappointing season from where I thought it would be, based primarily on a couple of guys who I thought would have much better years than they did. Um, that being said, it's hard to hard to beat having a guy almost in the top or a guy in the top ten, another guy top 20, another guy top 30, another guy top 40, and the most most men of any country in the top 100. I mean, three years ago, if that you'd told me that would be the case, I'd have been like, let's go out and, and celebrate with a nice big glass of milk. But <laughs> You know, I'm over 21. You don't have to call it a glass of milk. You tweet out every other tweet, I'm going to the bar to celebrate these wins. So you, you don't have to censor yourself here. It's always a milk bar. 
So, yeah, I would say, you know, at this point of the year, we've had fewer match wins than uh, Team USA did last year. And given how many young up-and-coming players we have, players under 27 years old who are um, who should be better than they were the year before, uh, it's kind of a bit disappointing. So a lot of things to say. I, I, I can't believe your first reaction is disappointing, especially given that you mentioned we have seen so many young guys break through. You know, Mackie McDonald, 23 years old. Taylor Fritz, 21 years old. Francis Tiafo, 20 years old. Uh, those are, you know, three guys who it seems like, given the level we've seen from them, should have at least five more years maybe hovering in that top 50 range, maybe a little bit better from some of them. And that is something to certainly be excited about, not since, you know, really Isner and Query kind of jumped ahead of the pack, and then you had Sock, who, you know, was kind of in that top 20 range a little bit. Not since then have we seen three guys really come up on the rise like this, and that's, you know, not even including Donaldson at 97, Michael Moe at 122, Noah Rubin 127, Opelka 143. Yes, the match wins, you bring up a great statistic there, but I think in general, you know, you've seen the Masters breakthrough from Isner. I could go on and on, and we'll talk about these things later on. Disappointing is not one of the words I would use. I would say I am very happy with their progress. This was always a building year. Really? I I think so, given how many young guys there are. I mean, okay. So let's start talking. Here's the thing, though. I mean, like I tweeted a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, Francis has had an outstanding year. He's number 40, but ranked above him are Alex Deminauer, Denis Shepovalov, Obviously, Tsitsipas, Sasha Zverev. I mean, they're all rankings-wise and and sort of um, sizzle-wise. <laughs> that's the thing. Chung Chung or Chung Hyun, all of all all above him. We haven't had a guy who's able to have that breakout sort of uh, top thirty, top twenty-five, semifinal or final of a Masters kind of thing. And that's um, that's where I get disappointed when I look at where they are in comparison to their peers. They're they're just a notch behind or some of them several notches behind at this point. I don't know how you can say, given Tiafo's uh, title at Delray Beach, his win over Delpo there, just the level we've seen from him throughout this year. I think he is in that cut of the guys, if we're listing them. Look, Zverev's in his own class right now, but the other guys, the Chorches, the Chungs, the Shapovalovs, the Dimonowers, they might be ranked a little bit ahead of Francis at this point, but I think developmentally-wise, I am just as proud of Francis and what I've seen from him as I am of any of those guys. I mean, that's one, that's, that's one guy, and you're right. We expected this crop. We expected Fritz to be in that range. You know, Fritz, given that he had no clay points to defend, really had a chance to gain some points this year. And he's, you know, he's back solidly in the top 75 at number 65 right now. I would have loved to see him in the top 50 at this point. And I think, you know, how can you be disappointed? You know, we had this debate amongst the, we were texting during the U.S. Open. You know, you were the one, I think, pulling for Fritz saying he was just as impressive given his performance against team as Dimonauer, and people shouldn't sleep on that. You know, we saw signs from him. For Mackey, he makes the fourth round at Wimbledon. You know, fourth round is not quarterfinal, but what's one round, given the fact that McDonald's 77 in the world right now, that's still a promising result, and, you know, it's a preview of what's to come, given that he's only 23. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I would just say that there is a, there's been a few um, holes that have opened up in the ATP with players being hurt or uh, starting to age out a little bit, just a little bit. And I would hope that we would be a, just a notch higher than we are. And that's, that's why I say I'm disappointed on top of the truly horrific year that the one guy that we had who won a Masters last year that's a huge thing this will be the only political joke I make Dalton I swear but uh, are you not saying his name the way certain people won't say the president's name I'll say it when we get to it <laughs> Fair funnily enough, enough they're both they're both nouns and uh, and verbs <laughs> that's funny Westoff you a laugh track or something do what you want with his that first name is, his first name is too but Uh, All right, well, with that, again, that's enough of the first question. That's the backdrop of our conversation. We are going to be giving our rankings of the top 10 players, and I say we go from number 10 to number one, kind of build our case, talk. You know, it'll be funny to see the guys we leave out. Um, Then at the end, I'll give give the top 10 rankings for the Americans right now by points accumulated as well as what they're by at the ATP. I have to say, I think the points accumulated was a much better statistic to look at when judging their seasons this year. I think that's obvious, but I think the common tennis fan may not know to look at that, may not understand the point system because it is kind of funky. So I think that's an important note to no, uh, important thing to note. But all right, with that, Jonathan, were there any honorable mentions, any guys who didn't make the cut of your top 10 that you feel like deserve to be talked about? Just briefly. Uh, yeah, I have, um, five honorable mentions. I would put, um, and these were a couple of guys that I was so tough for me to leave out of the top 10, uh, Noah Rubin and Michael Moe. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if anybody had them in their top 10. I just, when I looked case by case basis, I just couldn't quite put them up there. Um, my other honorable mentions are Ulysses Branch for winning that, uh, challenger out of nowhere as a qualifier. Um, I'm putting Jack Sock in it as an honorable mention solely because <laughs> he won two doubles majors, which is uh, kind of unbelievable in some ways. Also, it's just it's, it hasn't ever been done by a, a top top 20 singles guys in in, the, in this millennium, pretty much. Um, Did you look at my list? I think you looked at my list because you. Uh, Either that or we are actually more natural partners than Rothman. Because you have echoed. <laughs> All three of those guys are somewhere on this list of players I'm about to mention. Jack Sock was my spoiler pick. I'm going to save that for later on when I get to him. But I have Ruben and Mo as well. But sorry, carry on. Yeah, and then Ulysses Blanche. And then my fifth is the uh, 2016 uh, UVA National Championship. <laughs> this is one person. Because they all... Pretty much all of them said career-high rankings. They all had impressive performances. Altamirano had a great summer. Kwiatkowski starting to show himself. Uh, Shane hasn't had the best year. I don't think he's been 100% healthy, but he's up there in the top 500. And obviously, Aragone and Pritchard decided to join Team USA this year. So that's, it was incredible. I mean, okay. I counterpoint to what I said earlier. It's not that we're more in sync. It's that I'm a product of the Jonathan Kelly eco chamber. That's actually what it is because maybe that's what I'm just reading all of your stats. I agree. I have all of those guys real quick. Michael Moe, again, 122 in the world right now, 22 and 17 for 2018. 
no titles, but he's got it, you know, wins over Eubanks three times, Bautista Agu, uh, Cam Nori, Misha Zverev, Polanski, Smichek. He makes Los Cabos quarterfinals and the Brisbane quarterfinals earlier this year, uh, makes the Miami round of 32 after going through qualies. You know, those are the type of high-level jumps. And then, you know, yes, he lost first-round U.S. Open, but that was a great match against Fognini in four, one of my favorites I saw the, of the entire tournament. Uh, loses first round in five sets of, uh, at Wimbledon to Muller. Showed enough to where I am now, you know, very intrigued. He caught my eye this year, much more so than I expected. Uh, for Ruben, like you mentioned, 127 uh, in the world, 25 and 14 on the year. Two challenger titles. Um, makes City Open round of 16, Atlanta round of 16 from Qualies, Geneva round of 16 from Qualies. Again, showed the jumps to where tops, you know, 75 as a ceiling, very reachable for Noah. So again, he, he took the necessary jumps I was looking for. Uh, and then I'm glad you mentioned Blanche. I had forgotten to take him up. That challenger title, very impressive. You know, Sam Query, 18 and 18 on the year, but still he makes an ATP final in New York. Uh, you know, I believe, let me see, Wimbledon third round, Queens quarterfinals, Indian Wells quarterfinals, only loses in the first round of one slam, and that's at the U.S. Open where he was injured. I mean, he's he wasn't one of my top 10 seasons given what I expected out of him coming into the year, but still I, I feel like I have to me- I have to mention him. Fair enough, and I, he might be an honorable, honorable mention. But uh, yeah, given the expectations in the year that he had the last couple of years, um, just it, it just felt like a, a wasted season. And I obviously he's hurt at least for part of it. Um, and that, but the fact that he's not even one of the singles guys when Isner and Soccer both out of Davis Cup, he's not even one of the singles guys who was uh, named. That's that's not great. Completely agree with you. And, I, you know, with injury, who knows if he doesn't sit out. But, yeah, by ranking, he's not getting in. And on a personal level, I'm kind of excited to see Tiafo on that stage. If anyone's going to beat up the Davis Cup. Yeah, so one of those hidden things where, yes, I agree, bad for Sam, but good for us tennis fans because he's going to be fun to watch. All right, given your honorable mentions, I'm thinking we have a lot of the same guys in our top ten. Let's start with number ten. Who do you have? Uh, this is cheating, but I put Mike Bryan as my number ten. <laughs> Okay, I'm giving it away now. I have Jack Sock and Mike Bryan as number four. Uh, I had that double say. I think them winning two slams. I think Jack Sock, you know, this is all we're going to say in terms of his singles until maybe we talk about our biggest disappointments. Yeah, you know, 6 and 16 on the year. sucks. Like, that's terrible. Uh, in terms of his worst losses, all of them were bad. You know, so many. Cincy, Rogers Cup, Wimbledon, Eastbourne, Queens, French Open, Lyon, Madrid, Acapulco, Australian Open, Auckland, all first-round losses. But he wins a U.S. Open doubles title, wins a Wimbledon doubles title, Lyon doubles title, Indian Wells doubles title, Delray Beach doubles title. When this guy wants, he wins the doubles title. Right. And he's number two in the world in doubles. He won with, what, four different partners this year? Crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Kyrgios, Withrow, Isner, and Brian. I mean, Jackson Withrow. Great for him. Amazing for him to get a title. He doesn't win a title without Jack Sock in, in 2018. Yeah, and then why they're number four for Mike Bryan. He looks like he's having so much fun playing with someone that's not Bob. <laughs> he does. Like, I, I, he really I, does. Yeah, it, the joy you see on his face, the joy it brought to my face as a tennis fan, that's why they're my number four. 
Um, okay, so that, you know, that, that But the reason I put Mike there, I was going to put Jack there, and then I put Mike there because he's number three in the race with one partner and number four in the race to London with another partner, which uh, I don't think has ever been done before. Probably will never be done again. That's ridiculous. Would you let him play twice? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would, but I'm not the one who makes the rules. <laughs> oh, that could be the Jonathan Kelly addendum. I kind of like exactly. It. <laughs> right. Well, then I have, that's... I have lots of ideas. Yeah, well then, my, I'm gonna tell you my number ten. Let me know where he falls on your list. Bradley Klon. Uh, I had Klon at number nine. Oh, perfect. So then let's get let's get into that one right now. In terms, of Bradley Klon uh, ranked 93 on the year, 20 and 15, one title, the Gatineau Challenger. Obviously, he's a guy who was in the top 100 before. Has had multiple injuries, uh, come back from a shoulder, I believe a hip as well. Jonathan, he I thought his level. I, I, maybe it's not exactly what it was before the injury, but he is certainly at the level of a top 100 player. Yeah, I think it's a higher level than it was before he got injured, which is why I I'm so impressed by his year. He, um, you know, he had a great year. What was that? 2013 when he reached the top 80, but that was almost entirely on challenger level results. And this year, he's actually starting to put it together at the ATP level and uh, shows that he absolutely belongs. And I think, you know, the, that jump mentality-wise is, is a significant one. You're not going – I don't know that he'll ever reach the top 50 yet. You know, anything can happen. He, he certainly could get a nice draw at the Australian Open or something like that, and, and we could see it. But, um, yeah, just given what he went through and that he took years off and that he came back and he worked his way not through wild cards – you know, he he methodically worked his way back up into the rankings. To have him in the top 100 is just, to me, it's one of the stories of the year, which he's had a, a lot of stories. I completely agree with you. You look at some of his results early in the year, loses first round of the Numea Challenger, loses first round Aussie Open qualifiers, first round Indian Wells Challenger, and then, you know, he, he, uh, he loses Indian Wells Qualies first round, Miami Qualies first round, Houston Qualies second round, Roland Garros Qualies first round. At that point, a lot of guys would be ready to pack it in. And just to see the end of year Klon has had, and, you know, shameless plug here, but I had the chance to interview Bradley when I went down to Cincinnati mm-hmm. to check out all of that. That was a good interview. Oh, wow. Thank you. Coming from you, you know how much that means to me, so thank you very much for saying it. And I thought, my, again, talking about the bald spots, a little less than. The, the, the precipitous decline from August to September is kind of nerve-wracking. Uh, but I suppose that's a thought for another time. Yeah, Klon's level, it's just, his forehand is a weapon. There's And, you know, I hate backhand slices. Obviously, Klon loves to do that. But just for a lefty, for him to be able to attack the way he did... You know, Tennis Sandgren, a guy we'll talk about later, I watched them play in their first-round match, and there was just, you know, Klon was dictating every point. There was nothing Sandgren could do to hurt him. And, yeah, it's an incredible level that he's come back to. He's got wins this year over Martyr or Ferrer. He makes second-round Rogers Cup from Qualies, second-round Cincy from Qualies, you know, Wimbledon second-round from Qualies. Loses at the U.S. Open, but he drew Isner first-round. That's tough for anyone. I agree that that direct entry into the Australian Open at the beginning of next year so important for him to have secured. Yep, and uh, you know, Rare is a shadow of what he used to be, but you know, it was still a comprehensive win. And I thought that win, you know, over Martyrer and uh, in Cincinnati was exactly the kind of like close 
straight set win that is a marking of a of a guy who belongs in the top hundred. So yeah, I'm really I'm just really happy for him, and I'm uh, happy to put him in my in my top ten in the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, then, with that being said, you said he's your number nine. You know, we'll get into my number nine then, and I want to know where he falls on your list. I have him a little bit lower than maybe he deserves. I have Taylor Fritz at number nine. Oh, really? Okay, really? Is this is this our first disagreement? Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna have to have to go now. I'm really disappointed in you right now. No, I'm, I can see it. I can see it. I put him higher, but no, I can see it. I think our fans, our fans would appreciate us cutting it off now. They're like, "Good, you talked about Klon. That's all we need." Uh, yeah. So I'll make my case w- real quick. By points accumulated in 2018, Fritz seventh right now, 56th overall on tour. Which again, that's right around the top 50 range. 753 points accumulated. He's eighth right now in the live rankings of American men at 65th, right behind Query and above Dennis Kudla. Um, you look at his year. Yeah, he had a lot of. I guess okay. My biggest problem boils down to this: loses first round um, Roland Garros in five sets. Just he he didn't have success on the clay, and clay is always going to be a third of the year with with his opportunity to gain points. With given how well he did at the during the rest of the season, I'm still worried about Fritz on clay, and that was a question I was hoping to have answered by the end of the season. Yeah, well, it wasn't, <laughs> or it was, but not in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, he, I, I had him at at number six, um, and for a couple of reasons. One, he's you know pretty much locked up a spot in uh, Milan, which is you know, given how many good young players there are, I think that's a, a good. It will be a good accomplishment, assuming he's able to, to maintain that. Um, Secondly, I think regardless of result, the the level that he exhibited against Tommy Team, who went on to almost beat Rafa Nadal, was uh, was really solid. And um, that you know, this might be the bias of recency, but his uh, comeback win against against Vera when he was down to break in every single set showed me a little bit of what I what I some glimpses of what I think he can accomplish mindset wise in the future. I think he's got a toughness that um, is going to blossom really soon. And I, so I, I have him a little bit higher, number six. So let me just say also, I should preface this. When I have him ranked at this position, it doesn't mean I'm down on his season. As I mentioned, when, when you said disappointed uh, early on, I immediately argued with that. I think he's, or sorry, number, or yeah, number nine on this list. I think he's this low him being this low is a testament to the seasons all of these other players have had. You know, Taylor Fritz still, though, incredibly successful. As we've mentioned, he is back in the top 75, getting inching closer and closer to securing that ATP pension. 31-17 and 17 on the year. Uh, the Newport Challenger title from earlier in the year, which he steamrolled through. You know, he's got wins over Sock, Harrison, Rublev, Verdasco, Query, Zverev, uh, Klon. Yeah, he's had a couple of bad results, but still, U.S. Open third round, Wimbledon second round, uh, Houston semifinals, Indian Wells round of 16, uh, one, two, two other ATP quarterfinals in Lyon and Delray, and I'm counting off of the sheet as I'm you know, trying to say this as well. Uh, again, 
it's not that I'm down. I, the progress was incredible. He looked more agile, which take with a grain of salt, but still. The first serve, the confidence he has to go down the line or just go big on any shot, that's a quality. You know, he's a – this is the phrase we have, and it might be childish, but like Warinka, like Del Potro, we call him a big dick player. You know, he's a big-time player. He's out there. He's whipping it out, and he's saying, this is, you know, I'm laying all my cards on the table, and that is a quality, you know, you cannot – Create Just some people innately have it. So I'm incredibly high on Taylor Fritz. It's just for me, the volleys and the work on clay. I still need to see it from him. Oh, well, volleys, I mean. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's a, you know, volleys, a new term into the conversation. Yeah, for real. Um, I mean, you've got a top five player right now who can't hit a volley. You see it his life sometimes uh, in Zverev. But, um, uh, yeah, I... I still think he's a little bit a little okay. bit higher than the other guys we're about to talk about. Yeah, so two quick follow-ups. I always, I always have a follow-up. You know that. Uh, no, I apologize for that. But number one, completely agree with you about Zverev. Rothman and I always say these players, if they had volleys, that's all they're missing in their game. We're not crazy, right? Like, that is the missing piece for so many of these young guys. Uh, it's uh, one of the missing pieces. But, you know, Chapel can hit pretty good volleys. That's so true. some of them... Some of them are stronger. Chapo, I feel like he's he's one of those. Also, like Jack Sock. I mean, they may not have the best or the most standard um, uh, games in there, you know, te- technically in other ways. But they just have a really uh, they're drawn to the net, and they they have really fun feel and creativity when they when they get there. Um, and that's what I like about about Francis. Yeah, I, and I, I, I don't think. You can't. You and Zverev and, and Fritz will never, never quite have that. Uh, yeah, Fritz just looks like the hands aren't there. I don't know. Zverev, I think, could have it if Chorich could volley. If Chung could volley, ugh, I would love to see it. But okay, we'll save that debate for another time. The second follow-up: What are you more excited for, real quick? The race to the next gen, uh, the next gen finals in Milan, or the race to the ATP finals in London? Which race are you more excited to watch finish? Uh, I think the, um, I'd have to say London. Um, I think oh. there's more people in contention, right? I haven't looked at it very, very closely. And, um, uh, I think Isner has a better, has like a shot of making it. Whereas I think the only American who is questionable right now, it might be Riley Opelka for Milan. So, so just I'm in terms of watching Americans. No, I, I was just going to say I'm going to plug my own tweet real quick uh, since you got one in earlier. I feel like it's okay. The gap between the 6th and the 16th person in the race to London is 2,000 uh, – or sorry, yeah, 2,115 points, which is more than a Grand Slam title. The race between 6th and 16th to Milan, 444 points. Obviously, these guys well, are playing the Apples same. Apples and oranges. Yeah, I was going to say it's not like these guys are playing the same scale events, but still, the gap isn't at, at uh, 2,930 team at 365 that's you know a little over it's 435 points Munar who's at 7 right now 641 Rublev or sorry Munar at 8 Rublev at 7 695 54 points I mean it's going to be one of these guys breaks through at a 250 or it seems like anyone can win the Masters in Paris as we learned last year who knows what could happen yeah I just I think it's apples and oranges because like you said they play different levels and it's hard the, the way that you really accumulate points is getting to like semifinals and finals 
Um, and it's not likely that most of those young guys are going to do that. So they're really talking about 50 points here and 50 points there. And, uh, um, whereas for the, uh, for the London ATP, you've got, you're talking about, uh, the possibility of winning a Masters, a 500 in Europe or in Asia. And, uh, any of the guys in the top 16 are probably capable of that. So, um, but honestly, I'm, I'm more excited. I'm not really excited, that excited about either race at this point. <laughs> Maybe I'll win a month. I'll say this. You win this argument, so we can move on. I agree with you. You make okay, it. Yes. Yeah, you're apples and oranges. Okay. My number eight. To recap, real quick. Ten, Klon. Nine, Fritz for me. For you, ten, Brian. Uh, nine, I believe, was Klon. Who is Jonathan Kelly's number eight performer? Uh, this is a very last second uh, switch out from uh, from Ruben. I put uh, Mackenzie McDonald at number eight. I initially left him off the list. You have Mackie at number eight. I have Mackie at number seven. I imagine we think pretty similarly about this one. Probably. I would say the one thing um, about Mackie is that the, some of his one of his best you know accomplishments was the match that he lost in Washington D.C. to Andy Murray, and one of his least impressive accomplishments, as crazy as it sounds, I think was his uh, run of the fourth round at Wimbledon. You said one of his less less impressive? Not less impressive, but most overblown. I think um, compared to, when you look at who he played, it's great that he got to the fourth round, but he didn't beat any seeds, right? And uh, nobody... It was the Chilich portion, if I remember correctly, and Paya beat Chilich. Yeah. So if you just look at um, what do you what did you expect in each given match, none of those matches was a particular shocker. Getting the fourth round, yes, is a shocker. But one of those players had to make it once once Chilich went down and kind of just happened to be him. And unfortunately, I also felt like he after that that Murray match, he didn't have he wasn't showing me very much toward the end of the summer. And I guess that's also sort of a late season bias that I have because he had a great brilliant beginning of the year yeah so I should say this I had Mackie as high as number four at one point I obviously moved him down to number seven in the end you know I think the match you didn't mention there the one that was probably my favorite performance from him on the year that second round loss in five sets to Dimitrov at the Australian Open I mean that was that was some of the best tennis we saw all season with just Mackie being so, you know, willing to move forward. His aggression clearly translated throughout the season. It wasn't just a one-shot wonder. I mean, for him, for a guy not that big of stature to climb to 77th in the rankings, you know, 21 and 17 on the year, wins the sole challenger, wins over Barankas, beat Nicholas Jerry. I think Jerry's also really good. I could, you know, we'll talk about him another time, but wins over FAA, Tiafo, Smichek, Kudla, Rubin. We can talk about Jerry in our top 10 uh, Chilean podcasts. <laughs> That's a niche podcast. That's an on-the-rise blog post. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, again, uh, Mackie to me, I agree. I agree with you. The one thing you always worry about, the second serve for him, a bit of a liability, and it's obviously because of his stature, and I just thought Hasso really did a good job of attacking that when Mackie got tired in the last three sets of their U.S. Open match. Uh, but still, Mackie's got all of the weapons. Just such a complete game. There's no way... I, I, I see a long career for him in the top 100. At least five years. I super hope you're right because I love Mackie ball, as I call it. 
just such a clean ball striker, smooth mover. Um, I do worry a little bit about the that mental edge. Um, and you saw it in, in losing matches that he was right there with. Like any one of those uh, of those losses that you mentioned, um, whether it be Murray or Dimitrov or U.S. Open, that would have immediately vaulted him into top five and um, given him a chance to get close to the top 50. And none, every single time he came up just short. So just he's able to get right up to the precipice and then it just didn't close the close the deal a lot of times. I agree, and you can tell there's some matches. The one that comes to mind, Mackey's match against Tiafo when they played in Houston, and then there are just times when Mackey Ball doesn't work. I mean, he loses first round since he, you know, it, it's just true. There are times when he just can, you know, he can't penetrate the court against his po- opponent, or he's just missing a lot. You know, that sort of high variance game does have you worried. I just, again, he's 23 years old. Just give him two more years to get in very good physical shape, adjust to a full year on tour. I think the fluidity of his movement uh, translates well to all surfaces. I am high on him as my, at, you know, on his upside. That's why I have him at number seven. My number eight, a guy who, you know, started the year on fire, and we don't have to talk about the off-the-court stuff, but my number eight, Tennis Sandgren. Yeah, uh, I have him at number four. So you have Sandgren have a, at number four. Again, another I big I sure thing. do. All right, give me the counter. Why is he your number four, and why am I wrong? Um, I don't know why you're wrong. Maybe it's you were dropped as a child. I think that <laughs> you know. Wait, wait, real quick, my mom listens to this. Mom didn't. You did not drop me as a child. That was a joke. I didn't say it was your mom who dropped you. Gosh, <laughs> that's true. We had some old pairs. It was definitely one of them. That the uh, the you know getting to a quarterfinal um, of a major is something that American men couldn't do for a long time. It seems ridiculous, but we went years without having an American man in the quarterfinal. And if you would ask me 15 months ago, which of these 30 American players would reach the quarterfinal of a major, I would have put tennis angry about 31st. So, um, yeah, but that might be for other reasons. No, no. You know, I, um, you can, I don't want to get too political. But I will say that um, I created a separate Twitter account after the 2016 election because I just couldn't uh, – I, I had to separate those two aspects of my life. So um, uh, I, I don't agree with Tennis Angren politically, but uh, it, was a, it was a really impressive performance. And then given the – the backlash that he had, which was substantial, um, you know, whether it was right or wrong, it still had to weigh on him as a person. And yet he was still able to follow that up with getting to his first ATP final. Um, and, uh, you know, he, unfortunately or fortunately, he didn't, he didn't, he chose to prioritize, uh, world team tennis this summer, but, um, yeah, all things considered, he he he's able to maintain a good level, and I thought he had a nice match that he lose to at the U.S. Open. Sandgren lost to Djokovic. He was the last person to take a set off of off of Novak Djokovic, and uh, it wasn't really a fluke. I mean, he's he's uh, he showed himself to be a dogged competitor, and um, 
you know, another guy who's kind of like this weird, like, he looks like he's sort of like um, dogging it a little bit out there. And then he comes up with some really amazing backhand cross court, you know, winners off the court, you know. So I don't know. I, I had him really high, mostly because of the quarterfinal, but then how he was able to maintain any kind of level, despite what I'm sure was, you know, kind of a difficult turmoil filled internal yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, again, these are the top 10 performances. These are all guys we are praising. So there's no negative to, you know, all these guys have had successful seasons. Right now, for Tennis Sandgren, you look at some of his statistics. Uh, yeah, he is the sixth highest ranked American at number 58. But you look at his by points accumulated, he's number eighth, you know, 57th overall on tour. Still really good, 751 points accumulated. But you look at his record on the year, Sandgren 14 and 17. Uh, you know, he has no, uh, no titles, does have that Houston final, though. Had a streak of losing. Uh, Monte Carlo, oh, sorry, Miami first, oh, so it goes all the way back, sorry, Sao Paulo first round, Miami first round, Monte Carlo first round, Barcelona first round, Estoril first round, Madrid first round, French Open first round, you know, I, he, for, for some reason I have Tennis Handgren in my mind as the clay court proficient American player, and that was not the case outside of that Houston final this year. Yeah, he had a really rough European clay season, no doubt. No doubt. And South American. Yeah. I don't uh, know if he's scheduled. I don't know if he's scheduled well either. I think going down to South America seemed like a good idea at the time. It always seems like it's a little bit tempting for guys. I remember John Isner did a couple of years ago, and it just doesn't ever seem to work out. I don't know what it is. We can't get wins. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, to get away, to go there, play a a streak of events in a row, given the timing of the season, given the success he had just had at the Australian Open, not a bad idea. You know, some of his losses this year to Dominic Kopfer, who not to insult, but when you're in the top 100, you've got to beat guys like that. Loses to Klon, loses to Hubert Hurkacz, loses to Tiafo, Jaziri. Guys who, you know, if you want to be as firmly established in that top 60, an arbitrary number, but still... You, you have to be getting wins like that. You can't lose this many first rounds of ATP events. So that's why I have him a little lower on my list compared to some of these other guys who I think have gone further uh, in ATP events on the year. But yeah, you know, this is a Joe Kelly stat from your Twitter. Only American male player, maybe the only player on tour, on the ATP tour at least, I believe, to make the quarterfinals of both singles and doubles of a major. Yeah, the only, the only uh, player on tour in any country. Yeah, the Jonathan Kelly echo chamber is strong, as I mentioned. Okay, again, my number eight, Sandgren. Your number eight, McDonald. I already told you my number seven, McDonald. Who's your number seven? Mr. Riley Opelka. Really? Yeah. He is not on my list, so do tell. I think I know who is on your list who's not on my list. This is is because, you know, I interviewed him um, a few days ago, and I said, Riley... Didn't have. It was in Chicago right after he won his semifinal match. I said, Riley, you had kind of a disappointing year. And he said, no, I actually had a great year. I just had motto all summer. And I was like, what? It was brand new information. I had no idea. So right before Wimbledon, he started feeling the symptoms of onucleosis. He, he um, has a bad Wimbledon. He comes, he loses first round night match at Winnetka. He goes back to his hotel. 
and has full body cramps. He's been diagnosed with mononucleosis. He has to take the entire, almost the entire summer hardcore season off, which is his, that's his wheelhouse. Um, and then he comes back and he gets to the final that again in Chicago Challenger, a final that I think honestly he could have won, but that wind was, that wind was brutal. And he was, I swear to God, I swear to God, every time he went to serve, the wind would just like go crazy. And then his would go to serve and it died down. And I know I have my own biases or whatever, but I swear to, if we go back and watch that match, that's exactly what happened. So, um, and now this week, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but he's in the, the semifinals of the follow-up challenger. He's, he's won a challenger. Um, he hasn't really accomplished what he'd want to at the, at the ATP level, but given where he started the year, it's a little bit of a disappointing last year. And given, you know, mono, a disease that can like ruin people's like careers or, or put them off for months and months and months, I, I, I had to put him pretty high. Fligner, you're in the background, so you can be a sworn witness to me saying this. I made a mistake. Riley Opelka should be in my top 10. It's, it's, it's a oversight by me that he is not. 23-10 and 10 on the year, has a challenger title in Bordeaux. That's a clay event. So, you know, we talked about questioning Fritz on clay. Opelka, the serve is translating everywhere. His ground strokes are better than Isner's. I, like, I, that may be an overreaction. They, in my opinion, they just are. Oh, it's backhand, no doubt. Yeah, and, you know, wins over Mo, over Kopfer, over Donald Young uh, on the year, wins over Golbis, over Kozlov, over uh, Cuevas, over Christian Guerin. I mean, he's made semifinals of challengers, it seems like, whenever he plays them, or at least the quarterfinals. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how—23-10, and 10, that's, an, that's an astonishing record. That's really, really good. That was an oversight. He was not going to be on my list before last week, and— uh... When I when I I didn't see the match in Winnetka, even though it's in my backyard. When I saw that that um, the result and saw how many times he got broken, I was like, "What the hell?" Is he washed up? Is this like he's got leg problems? It turns out it was something uh, something that I had no reason to know, and, and most people didn't have any have any way of knowing. So um, yeah, I got to put him pretty high. I got to put him I'll, high. I will say this right now, Riley Opelka. 13th American, 124th overall in the ATP Tour in terms of points accumulated. He's had a good year. You know, his goal is probably to get into the top 100. By points accumulated, he is top 125. Who knows what happens if he doesn't get mono, as you mentioned. That's a good pick by you. All right, who's your number six? Number six, I've got, uh, sorry, I got Taylor Fritz. That's where you have Taylor Fritz, as you mentioned. Okay, we already talked about Taylor. Now let's talk about my number six, if you don't mind. Uh, Let's talk about... Yeah, I mean, we're 45 minutes in. I, I, I would hope not at this point. Um, my number six, Ryan Harrison, who had a sneaky, consistent year by all of these metrics. You know, he's currently the fifth-ranked ATP on the, uh, of the Americans on ATP at 51. You look at points accumulated, he's fourth, 51st overall on tour. Um, again, but fourth amongst the American males. Makes that final in Atlanta to make back-to-back finals, which, as you mentioned, I believe that was the first time since Isner and Fish. Am I right? Am I wrong? That was another Joe what? Kelly tweet. Isner, oh, what was? The Isner-Harrison back-to-back Atlanta finals. First time that people have oh, been yeah. back since Isner-Fish. Yeah, that. Okay. So, yeah. I believe I re- myself. 
But yeah, you know, he makes two finals on the year. The Brisbane final at the beginning of the year, I thought he looked really good. Has wins over players like Mackey, Cam Norrie, Hyun Chung, Lucas Lacho, uh, John Isner, Diego Schwartzman, Dimenauer. You know, he's starting to get, what, he's 26, 27 years old. I'm not sure how much better he'll get, but if this is the floor, it you know, everyone was freaking out two years ago. It's a pretty good floor. Yeah, he was the one guy I didn't didn't have on my list in the top ten because yeah he didn't I should have put him in honorable mention probably getting to two finals is impressive I just um I thought he had, he's having a a fine year but no signature win um no I think he's got to be at the point where uh he he gets that win over Kevin Anderson when Kevin was struggling in the first round of the, of the U S open. Like I know he doesn't get great draws in, um, in majors, but he's, he's 26. He's been around for 10 years now for him not to have found somewhere, some way to get to the fourth round of a major when almost every other person, um, his age, has who's in the you know in the top 60 has it's just um i don't know it's just it feels like it's a their year so far and it's not fair to ryan he's probably very pleased with his with his year or not disappointed i just i felt it was just sort of a fair year uh, i think you know some of the stats that might reflect that 21 and 20 on the year uh i think he has 10 first round losses or losses in qualies you know, uh, makes Winston-Salem quarterfinals, Acapulco quarterfinals, Wimbledon second round, Australian Open third round, and then as we mentioned, those two ATP finals. I think I weighed those pretty heavily because in terms of individual results of all of these American players, that, you know, those are two of the better results given that they're ATP finals. So so that was, he- you know, that was heavy in my mind. Again, Ryan Harrison is like the litmus test. If you can beat Ryan Harrison, you should be a top, you know, 30 player. If you can't beat Ryan Harrison... You know, you still got things you got to go work on. He's just so solid. He's so solid. So to me, he's a he's a really good athlete. He's definitely improved his mentality. There's no doubt about that. Um, but even when he got to the third round of the Australian, who did he beat? He beat Judy Sela and then and Pablo Cuevas, and Judy exactly. was in 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 five sets. So yeah, just a lack of a signature win, and um, just it. I, he he's. I don't know. He just didn't, uh, he didn't throw me. He didn't wow me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, then let's move on to number five. Who is your, we're finally in the top five. Who is it for you? Uh, Dennis Kudla. Oh, we agree on one. Let's go. Yeah. So happy to hear that. All right. Give me the case. Here's, uh, Dennis Kudla is, um, uh, it's such a, it's such a rough couple of years. And, uh, it started to feel like he was a little bit washed up. And I think when we did our show last year, I don't think I we even mentioned him, or if we did, it was certainly not in the context of potentially being a top 70 player, top 100 player. And I look where he is. He's, um, he's played smart tennis. He has played within himself, especially this summer. He, um, is, he, had a, a fabulous run in his home tournament, Washington, D.C., which 
some people would say, oh, you know, you've got to do well at home. But I think that's a lot of pressure when that's your big only tournament. He, he did great there. So I was just really, um, really impressed. And I think based on where I had his, his expectations versus what he delivered, he is probably the number one or two story in that regard for me this year. Agree with everything you said. You know, one of the reasons I'm big on the buy points accumulated, and I should have mentioned this, I think I might have for Harrison, fourth on this list in terms of points accumulated by American men, 51st overall for the year. I think that's also why I had him a little bit higher. But for Dennis Kudla, right now he's the ninth highest ranked American at 67th, fifth in terms of points accumulated, 53rd overall on tour. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, a tremendous end to the year. His confidence. You know, it's a, I'm not trying to be pejorative and say it's back, you know, but he certainly seems more confident on the court. He wins that Drummondville Challenger. You know, he's beaten Hachanov, he's, or as we affectionately call Kachnov. He's beaten Pui. He's beaten Tsitsipas, Fritz, Tommy Paul, Steve Johnson. You know, he's had some, some great results. Uh, makes that Hollis semifinal going through Qualies. You know, as you mentioned, that City Open quarterfinal. It's a resurgence. You're right. One of the biggest stories of the year, for sure. Yeah, and that Hala, that Hala semifinal was, you know, he's sort of one of two grass court specialists that we've got. The other one, like, I think Mackie might be. Was, was he the one who had? Yeah, so. Yeah, and they're built similarly. It's interesting. Not the And they played in Dallas. So, you know, if Kudla can do this, then the Mackie upside looks good since Mackie beat him there, right, by the transitive property? There you go. That's that's how it works always. Yeah, and so I agree. Kudla, incredible year. You know, back on everyone's radar. I keep making this joke. Inches closer towards that ATP pension. I know your number four was Tennis Sanger, and we talked about my number four as well. Jack Sock, Mike Bryan, the doubles combo. I imagine our top three guys have to be the same. It's just a matter of order. I'm going to guess we have the same. It's Tiafo at three, Johnson two, Isner one. Close. I have Johnson three, Tiafo two. And we're, I have actually uh, Ronnie Schneider at number one. So. <laughs> I thought you were going to say yourself for whatever league performance you had. It wouldn't have been a bad pick. I, I had a rough year myself. But uh, no, I had Isner at number one. So um, I put, real quick, I just I, I put Tiafo just a little bit higher than Johnson, even though. You know, Johnson did have such a, a tough year, 2017, um, and he did win more titles, and uh, he's higher ranked than Tiafo, but Tiafo, um, for his age, being the first um, to win an ATP title, and the, the way that he did that, beating the you know U.S. Open champion and future U.S. Open finalist, and um, his... Uh, it's just feeling of like of 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 uh, electricity that he brings to the court and that he brings to the tour. Um, it's, it's fabulous, and I think uh, he's handled it really, really well. Um, and the fact that he also was able to make a final on European clay, yeah, 250, but still to do that, it just it impressed me just a little bit, a little bit more than Johnson, who by every other. 
uh, Metroid had a had a better year with two titles in the final on, on three different surfaces. So as you mentioned, by points accumulated, Johnson 29th overall, second about amongst Americans. Tiafo third amongst Americans, 37th overall. There's a 170 point gap there, which is the equivalent of a Masters 1000. If you made the Cincy quarterfinals, you get 180 points. So just a little perspective for you listeners. You know, for me. Again, I think this is why Harrison was a little bit higher. I think this is, uh, you know, part of my theme. This is why Kudla uh, a little bit higher. Um, this is why Sandgren a little bit higher. Those two ATP titles, one of which comes on clay, the other on grass, given what we know about Steve Johnson's backhand. I mean, just incredible result. It's an incredible result. And to your argument, you're right. Johnson has more first-round losses than Francis on the year. Francis, 26-19 and 19 overall only has one, two, three, four, five first-round losses versus Johnson, who I believe has nine. Um, you know, the consistency Francis showed, both guys on the year uh, beat Edmund. Uh, both the, both of these guys have, I mean, you look at their best wins, we'll just go individually. Johnson, Edmund, Karina Busta, Medvedev, Manorino, Warinka, Isner, Fritz, Tiafo, Sandgren, uh, Dimenauer, Rayonich. For Tiafo, Rayonich, uh, Donaldson, Harrison, Pablo Carreno, Busta, McDonald, Burdich, Edmund, Chung, Del Potro, Shapovalov, Manorino. The margins between these two are really thin. I give Johnson the bonus because I believe head-to-head this year, he beat Francis in Houston 6-3, 6-4. And to me, that's the kicker. That's what it was, uh, if you want the truth. Both had incredible years. That's totally fair. I would just say that Johnson has been around the block. He had so much more experience. and. Um, Francis, this is his first full year on tour, and he made the most of it in um, uh, in a way that that you know Johnson's already been in. Been, he's won titles. He won Houston. He's won. Um, he's been to finals in other countries, and uh, so even though I was a little, I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised by Johnson's year. I just think that uh, he's he's had that extra experience that. That Tiafoe didn't have. Okay, I, I I have no more qualms with that. That's fine. If you want him two, or if you want him three, I'll have him two. Hopefully, he feels pretty good about two and a half. Uh, you know, that's about solid. I mean, both of them incredible performances. But okay, let's talk about our number one guy, John Isner. You know, Jonathan, I feel like you have had a roller coaster relationship with Isner over the years, and. How, you know what? What did it, what? What did you see from him this year that either gave you hope, maybe put you down? I don't know. How are you feeling? I feel like a lot of things came together correctly. Yeah, um, I think by far the, in my opinion, his title at Miami, um, for someone who lost so many Masters one thousand finals, and who is so old <laughs> to get his first I say that and he's way younger than I am but to to get his first Masters 1000 at this stage in his career and his first uh, 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 major semifinal at this stage in his career it's a semifinal it's uh it's almost just, it's kind of astounding to me um, and just really really impressive and the thing about Isner is that he doesn't people have have dogged him for lots of reasons and i can't i can't say that there's um any fault in them in them doing that but i will say that a for a guy who came out of college and for a b that 
a guy that tall, it's never been done before that a guy that tall um, has been a consistent top 20 player, a top 10 player, won a, ma- a Masters. Um, these are things that nobody thought, you know, when he was a freshman at Georgia, nobody, nobody could have even conceived of something like that. So um, I'm just, I'm really impressed by his, um, his, uh, I don't know what you say, his, his uh, record of accomplishment this year. It's, it's really outstanding. <laughs> his resume, one might say. His resume. Yeah. Well, again, looking yeah, looking at this resume, he's ranked tenth in the world right now, thirty and sixteen after starting the year one and six. You know, he loses first round Auckland, Australian Open, New York Open, second round Delray, first round Acapulco, first round Indian Wells, and then in my opinion, the turning point was winning that Indian Wells doubles title with Jack Sock. You could just tell Isner was having fun on the court. He goes on, you know, two titles this year, Miami and Atlanta, has beaten Zverev, Chilich, Chung, Delpo, Tsitsipas, Rayonich twice, Dimenauer, Harrison twice, Klon, uh, as you mentioned, Wimbledon semifinals, U.S. Open quarterfinals. Even the Roland Garros round of 16 was impressive. Uh, John had a, John was the man, and I guess my, my final thought on John for you, and in case you have my final thought on John for you, Jonathan, that was nice. Can I get a little drum roll, please, Westoff? Um, what do you think? We have this saying, and we, we joke around, but the Gimbelstab-Isner pairing, it's a little obnoxious. It's a little loserish, but it works. The energy just works. Yeah, it does. I, yeah, I mean, people have really obnoxious people in there. If we judged everybody by their box, then I wouldn't like anybody. I wouldn't like anybody. I would hate everybody. And I, I do hate most people, but I can't, I can't judge them by their box. Yeah, I think he, you know, a couple of years ago was really unclear whether or not that was that was a a good move, um, but he's had the, the best year of his career, and I, it's not even close. Um, and it's the highlights more than you know. Yeah, he lost to you know he lost to Noah Rubin. Yeah, he lost first round in Australia, but those highs. Um, just to think how close he came to being a major finalist, and you never know with that serve if he could have been a major champion this year. Um, that's something that. American men's tennis, he had, he's had a year that American men's tennis hasn't seen since Andy Roddick retired, and that includes wow. James Blake. That includes Marty Fish. Um, he's had the best year since Andy Roddick had his last Wimbledon final year. I'd ask Westoff for a sizzle, but that was pretty. I, I don't know if I disagree with you. I think you're right. I, I you know I wrote a series, shameless plug again, the belt for Crack Rackets many moons ago, talking about you know who the best American player has been. If you exclude sock in terms of doubles and singles results, uh, yeah, this was probably the best. I mean, certainly individual singles season we have seen in quite a bit of time from an American male player. Uh, again, Isner deserves all of the praise. All of the, maybe it's the comfort of being married now. Maybe it's that there's a kid on the way. Something clicked for him this year, and it was, I agree. It, it was really impressive to see. But okay, let's recap our. He's also playing that. Oh. Let me just say one last thing. He's also playing uh, the type of tennis that he should have been playing ten years ago. And, <laughs> He's a better uh, volleyer. That's why I think yeah. Chris. Because if Isner could do it, there's no way Taylor Chris can't do it. Well, I don't think he was ever that bad a volleyer. He just was reluctant volleyer. Um, 
He's a closet grinder, for sure. He loves to play behind the baseline. Yeah, which is the same with Opelka, and hopefully Opelka <laughs> gets out of that sooner than John does because he uh, he finally wasn't afraid to get past and um, wasn't afraid to mess up on a couple of volleys because, you know, I just think I have a bias that anybody who goes to college is automatically a better volleyer than any almost anybody who doesn't go to college, with the rare exception of, like, a a few guys like a Rafa or uh, 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 Roger, Roger or or Tiafo in this case, but um, you know he's he's had experience at the net. He's a good doubles player. He should have been playing more forward in the court many years ago, and I think he would have had a better career because of that. And things just came together. And I don't see any reason why I don't I don't know that he'll repeat this next year, but I don't see any reason why he can't play, have another few years in the in the top twenty, which is kind of remarkable again when you think of where you know he was when he was a freshman in college yeah completely said uh well said i think that puts a bow on it just to recap our rankings real quick number 10 i had a clon you had mike bryan nine fritz clon eight sandgren mcdonald seven mcdonald opelka six harrison fritz Five, Kudla Kudla, our one match, or one of our two matches. Four, I had the Sock Brian doubles combo. You had Sandgren. Three, Tia, I had Tiafo. You had Johnson. Two, I had Johnson. You had Tiafo. Number one, we both had Isner. You know, the only guys in the top ten of the current ATP rankings that we didn't put in our top ten in terms of singles against Sock, who's ranked seventeenth, but. After Paris, who knows what that'll look like? And then uh, Sam, yeah, Sam Query, who's number seven. Um, you know, uh, the, any I'll, I'll give you before we go to our changeover chat because I can't have you on without doing a trivia segment. Uh, obviously, you are the king of the trivia. You've what's inspired the segment, so we we got to go put you through that. Um, but you, final word, any any last thoughts on the American men's tennis today? What is the is this a Jimmy Carter instance where the State of the Union? is not good or is this uh the state of the union is strong my carter was weak i admit it's solid a little disappointing i think this fall there's still a lot of tennis to be played and uh, we could see some really um surprising falls another guy that we didn't mention because he hasn't had a terrific year um tim Smichet came on at the end of last year to really put together an astounding uh indoor season so there's still a lot of tennis to be played the rankings could move around and a couple of guys could wind up top 100 that were are not top 100 now um, or or just go on a roll. And that's kind of exciting to what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think that's fair. The guys who we didn't mention today, who I thought we were going to mention, Ernesto Escobedo, Tommy Paul, both guys we were huge on at the end of last year. You know, Tommy suffered with injuries, so take it with a grain of salt. I think Ernesto has as well. But he's certainly not playing the confident tennis we saw from him last year when he was solidly in the top 100. Yeah, I, I have to say, again, after this debate, are you less disappointed? Have I persuaded you? Yeah, yeah, you, you did, you did. Yeah, I was, I was feeling a little low. I'm feeling a little less slow now. That's what I, I was thinking you. about. <laughs> that's social settlements. I was going to say that's social settlements homework getting right to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right well then with that again as as i mentioned we we don't finish this podcast without doing everyone's favorite segment it's time for this week's flagner cue the drum roll please it's time for this week's 
Change over. Change over. Jonathan, if you haven't, this is another shameless plug. If you missed any of the live show footage, obviously, please go check that out. But in particular, there's a video of us as an acapella team, and I think there's eight of us in the room doing that changeover, and it goes, changeover, changeover, changeover. It's very funny. One of one of my favorite moments as, as long for as long as I've been a part of the Crack Rackets team. So it was a ton of fun. But one of my other favorite things to do is to cue this gimmick. Westoff, give me the Price is Right sound effect, please. It's time for this week's Alex's Trivia. All right, Jonathan, I've got a couple trivia questions. I asked you to prepare a few others as well. You want to alternate and just, you know, go back and forth on trivia? And we'll see who wins at the end. Loser uh, loser gets the pizza at Laver Cup or whatever we decide to do. Oh, yeah, the Laver Cup's coming to town. I can't believe it. I probably won't be able to see anything. <laughs> well, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll text you photos while I'm there. Oh, you're there? I will be there. I will be in attendance, I think, all three days. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have to meet up for a drink, if nothing else. A glass of milk. Better, better. Um, all right. As always, you are the guest. Hit me with the first trivia question. Okay. Um, uh, I actually didn't prepare any, so uh, <laughs> I can make one up off the top of my head, or you can go first, and then I'll, I'll make one up off the top. I'll, I'll let you buy a little bit of time. So um, the first one I'm going to ask you is based off of, again, a Jonathan Kelly Twitter stat. So you mentioned that the USA has had at least one finalist in 13 of the last 17 Women's Grand Slam singles finals. Can you name the four instances where there was not an American player? Okay, one more time. You, U.S. has had... U.S. has had one finalist in 13 of the last 17 Women's Grand Slam singles final. Ooh, impressive, okay. Can you name the four instances when they did not? I can name two of them. So the Australian Open this year, no finalists. Correct, and can you name the two finalists? It would have been Wozniacki. Yeah, Wozniacki defeated Kerber. No, uh, no, no, no. Wozniacki defeated Halep. Wozniacki defeated Halep. I'm not going to dock you because it was a bonus question. Uh, the last year's French Open, um, where Ospenko beat Halep again. Correct. And now these last two. Do you want a hint? Um, it was one of them the U.S. Open. Both of them were. Okay, so it would have been, I don't know what year it was, when Kerber beat Pushkova, and then the 16? year, I guess, yeah, and then the year, was it the year before that, where Panetta beat uh, Rupert Vinci. Cue the sirens, that was correct, you got all four, well done. <laughs> uh, you have one, or I have, I have another one ready for you if, you're, if you want it. Uh, you why don't you give me the next one, and then I'll, get, then I'll definitely okay. have one. Alright, I'll give you another one. Okay, so... Novak Djokovic makes his eighth U.S. Open final. There have been five players in the Open era who have made eight finals at one slam tournament. Can you name 
the other four besides Djokovic, and can you name the tournaments they did it at? Okay. Um, I know one of them is not... I'm, I lost you there for a second. Can you say that one more time? Can you say that one more time? I'm sorry, I lost. I, yeah, I said I know one of them is not Pete Sampras, but... Uh, I don't uh, oh, no! It, one of them is Pete Sampras. We are joking. Eight U.S. Open finals. 90, 92, 93, 95, 96, 2000, 01, 02. I was thinking that seven, uh, seven wins at, at Wimbledon without a loss. Boy, oh boy. Mm. Oh, that's so bad. Okay, uh, Rafa Nadal. Roland Garros, obviously. At the French. Um, so that's three. Well, then probably Ivan Lendl. That's correct. Can you name the tournament? I would think the U.S. Open. That is it. He made eight straight finals from 82 to 89. Sneaky ridiculous. That is that is one of the less... But one of the more underappreciated stats in, in in tennis history, I think. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then, in my opinion, there's who's number one? Who's made the most finals at a single event? Uh, Roger Federer. That's correct, and you know the event. Would be Wimbledon. That's the one. <sighs> All right. Well done again. Well done. All right. Okay. Um, this is a, a pretty basic one, but... Um, American women, um, although it's not to be no longer true at the end of this week, but American women have won just one tournament uh, on the WTA in 2018 um, versus five uh, for American men. Um, But they have made, um, in addition to the one that was won, they've made uh, six finals, including five premier or higher level. Can you name the five premier or higher level tournaments that American women have lost in the finals this year? So the title was Sloan, correct? Say that again? Yeah, the the title title was Sloan in Miami. Yeah. So then Serena made the Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals. That's two of them. Sloan made the Rogers Cup final. Yes. And then there's two more. Hmm. And now it gets interesting. Did Keys make a final? Keys has not made a final in 2018. Shocking. Keys has not made a final. Well, then who else could be a sneaky candidate? I don't think it's another Serena one. Correct. I think it's... Did Sloan make another final? French Open final? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Okay. That, that, and she lost to Halep, so that's four. She was up a set and a break. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And then there's one more. Okay, Alex, you can do this. One more. By far the most random premier final you could ever imagine, given the surface and the player. Vandewey? Carpet. Yes. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the surface. Vandewey indoor clay in Stuttgart. Ooh, interesting. Okay, I, 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 I'm... I'm okay with my performance there. That was solid. Although I don't want to, I don't want to make it about. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Okay. Well, then we're gonna end with this one because I find this one interesting. Given that we have finished slams for the final year, there will be no more Grand Slam matches played on the year at this point in the Open Era history. Can you name? We'll go the top eight players in terms of most Grand Slam matches played. And there's a reason I say the top eight. It's because of who's number eight. That's my hint to you. 
Okay. Uh, top 10 men? Oh, you can do the top 10. Yes, I should have said men's singles matches played. Men's singles matches played in at the Grand open Slam. era at a Grand Slam. Yeah. All right. Let's go with uh, Roger Federer. Roger Federer's number one. Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic. So Federer won with 393, which, by the way, is just ridiculous. Also, uh, you've got Djokovic, number two, 299, also ridiculous. So, yeah, those are your top two. Who's number three? Do I have to do an order? Uh, no, you can keep going. you got oh, eight. Okay. You've got uh, eight. Yeah, keep, all you. Yvonne Lendl, Jimmy Connors. Uh, Yvonne Lendl, number, uh, I shouldn't have deleted those other two, sorry. Yvonne Lendl, number six, Jimmy Connors, number four. Okay, Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal, number three. So you've gotten the top four, and I should say Nadal, 16 less matches played than Djokovic, though one more than Connors at number four. Lendl's number six at 271. So you've got five, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, now it's fun. Um, I'm going to say uh, Andre Agassi. Agassi, number five, 277. I feel like the way I say Agassi is so Michigander. Agassi. But yeah, he's Agassi. number five. Yeah, exactly. He's number five. All right, bottom four. You can do this. All names you should know. All names you should know. I'm sure I know them. Do I know which ones? Um, okay, so uh, Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras, number seven. Well done. Number seven, 241. 30 less than Lendl. Okay. Um, we're going to go with uh, Stefan Edberg. Stefan Edberg, number nine. Good guess. I, w- I, I think number 10 is the one that's going to give you the most difficulty. Edberg, 225 at number nine. All right, two more. Number eight and number 10. Come on, number um, eight. I wouldn't have included this stat yeah, if it didn't Andy have Murray. number eight. There it is. Andy Murray, number eight, 233. I'm offended you didn't say it first. Uh, yes, he is on the list, which I am. Pr- it's, it's a big four, people. It's a big four. It's absolutely a big four. Plus <laughs> and then, um, oh, that was, a, that was a trivia question I could ask is uh, around uh, how long it's been since that there's no current player who has the top uh, number two is their highest career ranking rank. Shows you how dominant kind of four have been. Yeah, even Del Potro. Although, who knows? Del Potro wins Paris, wins the year on finals. Who knows what happens? Yeah, he could do it. Um, and then, okay, so... Uh, I'm going to run it. I'm just going to throw out somebody like... Think Horsepepper. Think Caprice. Yeah. This guy was a big caprice. It looked like he was wearing uh, camo pants on the freaking court. Backwards hat, shaggy, shaggy hair. I don't want to give you. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> that speaks to my. Uh, all right, they call him Rusty. Oh, Layton Hewitt, no. Layton Hewitt, number ten, two twelve. Uh, okay, we'll get for him. <laughs> Not a Leighton Hewitt guy? Not a fan, no. Interesting. No, not since well, that, not, not since that the James Blake incident. Uh, fair. Fair. But I will say he has done numbers for Alex Dimenauer. Clearly, whatever they've got going on is working. Yeah, yeah. No, Alex is, uh, is an astonishing, astonishing player. And if he didn't keep beating up on, 
on American Guys, I think I'd have a lot more love in my heart for him. <laughs> but um, uh. he was doing it even in juniors. So uh. I don't. So Layton had more than than Andy Roddick in terms of uh, matches played. Huh? I guess he started earlier. I don't know where Roddick is on the list, but he also lasted, I think, a little longer. Yeah, but he, yeah, I guess he was. He kept appearing in in majors even when he wasn't a threat, and Andy was pretty much a threat till close to the end. Exactly. That's a debate we can have for another time of who had the better prime. Um, but we should leave it there because we could go on for another hour. Jonathan, because you are the wonderful guest, I want to give you the last word. One minute. Any other spiels you have? Anything? Any other thoughts you've had thus far in the 2018 season? Here is the final word. Westoff, start the clock. So my final word is that I have a solution to the best of three versus best of five uh, Grand Slam tournaments. And that is, taken from World Team Tennis, that if a player, uh, if the two players split sets, then it just becomes a best of three match. But if a player wins two, the first two sets, then the other player can extend it if they win the third and fourth set. They, so the only way you'd have a best of five match would be if a player came down from two sets to love. Otherwise, you get what you want from the third set because what it is right now, third set and best of five matches that they split the first two sets are kind of boring and superfluous because they're not going to decide to match. But if you do it my way, then the third, fourth, um, and fifth sets will always be decisive. That is, that is interesting. I have not heard that one before. I like that a lot. That I just made it up at Target. That was what you were doing during the trivia question? That was the proposal you came up with? That was no, I made it up at Target when I was buying this microphone. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing that. You sounded wonderful throughout. And again, you know, I, I need, we need to start having you on more often because this was too much fun. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Jonathan. Uh, thank you very much. I had a good time. Okay, well then, one last time for our wonderful guest. Again, I'm going to give him the three titles because he deserves it. On the rog- on the Rise blog founder. Uh, now you can see his work with Tennis Panorama. Uh, obviously, founding father of the Tennis Twitter conversation, Jonathan Kelly. For our super producers, Daniel Westhoff and Max Fligner, who have a, f- of a job to do, as always. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jonathan, what do we say to our guests? Uh, let's. I'll go out for a glass of milk. I, I have no idea. <laughs> we, oh, hey, can I get a hey, great shot from you? Hey, great shot. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. And we will see you all next time. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks.